Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we offer resources to equip you and stories to inspire you on your adoption journey. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it, and we're here for you. This week, we're bringing you a recording from a recent workshop that took place in the village. In case you haven't heard about it, The Village is our membership community where you can find support and training to meet your needs. For more information, head to theadoptionconnection.com slash village. We hope you enjoy the workshop. This is How Would Jesus Parent Letting Go of Shame-Based Parenting. And uh, this first part, I'm going to be providing a lot of information and it's it. I'm hoping it's going to be a lot like drinking from a, a fire hose, but we will have these spots where we'll just check in and see if, if everybody's going okay. Because in some parts, there's just a lot to, to cover. And then we'll be able to have good casual conversation and interact and, and everything after that. So I welcome. And I would like to just to make sure that I'm on the same page. Would you be willing? Would you please type in the chat why you're here? What grabbed you about this presentation? And, you know, just a few words. It doesn't have to be. I mean, you, the word desperate communicates a lot, right? Hope, the idea of I came in here and my spouse is watching the kids. So I figured two hours away from them. I mean, you know, the title, want to be a Christ like parent. Excellent. Yes, you'll have access to the slides. Yay, Wichita. Encouragement, curious. Oh, better train our Christian foster presence. Reminder to be more than Jesus, more like Jesus. Adoptive mom and two little boys, two and four old, walking through some challenges. Yeah, to be a better parent. Five kiddos with different levels of trauma. <sighs> See, this is why I do this. My heart just breaks for you all and for your kiddos. Yeah, you're going to get the biblical explanation of TBRI. Training for Christian parents. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. All right, give my son what he needs as I've been rowing upstream in our community about parenting this way. And we were excited to listen to a biblically based reason for why we parent. Oh, good. And I am, it is my hope that you all will be able to see what I've been seeing for the past three years. Pastoring a church, I used to do that. And that's actually where I just started to discover this. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that. All right, I'm going to go ahead and dig in the who and why. Who? I am Greg. I am a dad of four in 1990. I became a bio dad in 2008. I became an adoptive dad. I've got an MDiv or Master of Divinity from Texas Christian University in Fort Worth, Texas from Bright Divinity School, which is the graduate school for the seminary there. I became a trust-based relational intervention practitioner in 2019. I also am an Enneagram coach, which is a whole lot of fun. I was a Christian pastor for 40 plus years and did. I worked solidly in church. Technically, I'm still a Christian pastor, but I'm not working in a church. You all are my, are my people now. I'm also a post-adoption support specialist because I started learning TBRI and I ended up leaving pastoral ministry ministry to become a post-adoption support specialist. It was a huge calling. I am also acquainted with the journey of cancer and the journey of grief. And I made, well, because my wife went down that, we she went on the journey of cancer 
And we have been, our family has been in that journey of grief since January of 2020. 2020 was a bad year for a hard year for lots of us. And especially when, when our family lost my wife of 30 plus years. So the why I am here, it's because once I started learning about TBRI and I was still, and I was preaching every Sunday and I was immersed in the gospels and the, the rest of the scriptures all the time, I began to see patterns and I was changing my mind to think in a trust-based relational intervention framework. And I was taking that framework to my sermon prep and to my personal devotions and to my scriptures. I became, I was baptized in about probably 1970, but I got serious about following Jesus in about 1975, long before many of you were born. And I grew, although I grew up in a mainline church, when I was in college, I hung out at Calvary Chapel, which was the Jesus hippies in the 1970s. So, and, and there was all about peace, love, and Jesus. And that was where I learned Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. And you've got to know Christ, you have a personal relationship with Christ. And I, I bought into all of that and began connecting and nurturing my relationship with God and Jesus in the most intimate ways that I could. And that's a part of my journey. But when I started looking at this, I started seeing TBRI in the Gospels. And it was amazing. I'm going, and it, in a way, revolutionized my faith. It, it actually helped me to talk about Jesus better because I really felt like I had this understanding of who Jesus was and understood his ministry a little bit better. And that's why I'm going to kind of fire hose you all tonight because there's so much good stuff, but you don't have to learn it all. Then the second reason that I am here is because following this parent, the principles and strategies of TBRI, I've seen the healing in my children. I have seen the healing in me because I've needed to change and become more who God wants me to be in order to be the healing force that's needed in my, in my, in my kiddos lives. You know, I believe in the presence. I, that we're in Christmas, the incarnation is the thing for me. Okay. God taking on flesh and, and walking that human life. And it, that's what I see in Jesus ministry. Jesus, um, Jesus took on human flesh and is, and walked with us. I am taking on love. I'm becoming love incarnate in a way and being that power of love and healing just by my presence in my children's lives. And I've had to do a lot of healing from my past. So that's why it's been a healing journey for me. My 17-year-old son, last year when we were doing, we were doing lots of stuff, I was preparing a, a session on for preparing for adoption, speaking to about 40 people who were getting ready for adoption and what you needed to know. And so I asked, my son popped his head in while I was preparing that presentation. And I said, so you have any advice for these pre-adoptive parents? And he listed 10 things. And the 10th thing he said was, you are probably going to get the kid to make you deal with your issues. You are probably going to get the kid to make you deal with your issues. That has been 100%. So as a result, because of the pain of parenting my child, God has transformed me during that. So that's kind of what's, what's going on. So 
I saw healing in me. I saw healing in my children. And I love adoptive parents and I love adoptive kids. And so I'm here because I found this oasis in the middle of the desert where there is cool, crisp, life-giving water. And I just want to show you where it is. So how would Jesus parent? So he, I'm going to do four things before Q&A. All right. Number one, I'm going to compare behavior management and trust-based parenting. Not because I hate behavior management. <laughs> okay. Behavior management has a place and it is so much easier than trust-based parenting. It is so much easier. It doesn't require as much soul searching. You just learn the tool and apply the tool. So I'm going to make a case for behavior management parenting. The bottom line is it doesn't work for kids from trauma. So we're going to look at that. Then we're going to look at the three lies that I am vulnerable to, how that it got expressed in my adoption with my kids, and then how Jesus has been dealing with those three lives and three lies in my life. Okay. So three lives, how it expressed in adoption, and then Jesus hooking in there. And then I'm going to give you the content. I'm going to overview trust-based parenting. <laughs> I'm going to overview 24 hours of TBRI training in about seven minutes. Okay. And then we're going to review it because then I'm going to take that TBRI framework and the four parts of that, and I'm going to apply it to the ministry of Jesus and see if I can help you see what I saw during those months when I was preparing. I'm going, oh my goodness, Jesus practices TBRI strategies. It's not that I believe that Jesus read the connected child or the connected parent. I believe that Karen Purvis in her own Christian walk and her passionate faith and trust in Jesus Christ saw things and saw patterns and they worked in her work with her children. So I'm, I'm not, I, I don't think Jesus used Karen Purvis and Dr. David Cross's stuff. I think it's the other way around, but I saw it. Then the, probably the most important part is I want you to know that trust-based parenting begins with trust. And I want to see if I can give you some gifts so that that might encourage you, enable you, empower you to trust a little bit more in the one that you call your Lord and Savior and see if that make a difference. Not that I do it 100% of the time, but I've certainly found some ways that that I've been able to trust more in Christ and in God and in the movement of the Spirit. And I'd like to share that with you, and maybe you all would share stuff with one another. Any questions before we go for this? All right, we're, we're in good shape time-wise, I think. Here we go. Behavior management and trust-based parenting. I didn't put a versus there intentionally, okay? But behavior management and trust-based parenting has two different goals. Behavior management meets our needs to limit chaos in our homes and in our lives, okay? Behavior management, we want to prevent theft in our home. We want to prevent property damage in our home. We want to prevent injuries in our home. We want to prepare meals in our home. We want to be able to stay employed, right? So these are all things behavior management is trying to manage it. If you're a teacher, you know you need behavior management in the classroom. Otherwise, you can't accomplish anything, okay? TBRI, however, meets the complex needs of vulnerable children. 
So it's a different, it's a different mindset. TBRI, trust-based parenting, connected parenting, empowered parenting, TBRI meets the complex needs of vulnerable children, helps to heal their trauma, promotes attachment because being attached to a caregiver is vital to human existence. Providing felt safety because our baby's brains can't develop. I mean, even my six foot baby, our baby's brains can't develop unless they have felt safety. Uh, TBRI helps provide regulation skills for our kiddos and social and emotional skills. So it's the goal, the focus is different. Behavior management, meet our needs. TBRI, meet the complex needs of vulnerable children. We also acknowledge that we do behavior management to help teach our kids to how to obey the law, right? And how to live in society. And, and those things work. And, and it's a, let's move on. However, especially for the children who experienced early complex developmental trauma, Behavior management sends a different message. Behavior management says, well-behaved children are valued and included, but poorly behaved children are sent to time out. They are sent away. When you know how to behave, behave properly, you can return to the family, okay? Behavior management says good children are rewarded. Behavior management says bad children are punished, okay? They experience negative consequences. Now, for some of some homes, that means hit, spanked, could mean grounded, could mean loss of privileges, could be loss of possessions, and all of those things. Good children get my attention. Bad children are ignored. And those behavior modification techniques have shaped, well, they shaped me, you know, in, 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 in many ways. It's what my parents used. But here's the difference. Children who experienced being sent away or abandoned, children who experienced being hit, spanked, losing all of their possessions because they were taken out of the home, lose their family, lose their possessions and put in strangers home, children who were ignored or neglected, how do they, what, how do they pick up that message from behavior management, right? It's, oh, I'm a bad child. That's why my parents left me. Oh, I'm a bad child. That's why I was abused in my early years. I'm a bad child. That's why I was neglected. If I had been a better child, if I had been better behaved, if I'd been just more what my parents really wanted, then I would have been accepted in the family and I wouldn't be living in foster care and I wouldn't be living in an adoptive home. All right, so that message comes through. TBRI message is you are valuable. You are precious. You, my sweet one, your needs matter. You are safe from harm and I'm gonna keep you that way. You are attached to me and I love you. I will protect you and not harm you. You are not your behavior. I will teach you the skills that you need to survive and thrive in this life. Right? That's what the TBRI message is. So a question in the chat, in, in a few words, how has behavior management been working for you and for your kids? All right. How, how has behavior management been working for you and for your children? Not, 
Apple not. Yeah. I'm going to tell you my story after I, you're all unmanageable, not working, spinning my wheels. Oh, you guys, you can get behavior changed briefly sometimes. Home functions well, but no one likes each other. Dang. 17 years of the same struggles, behaviors exist. Oh, yeah. Sending the very messages you described. Depends on the day. Yeah, there are days where this stuff works, right? And other times we end up pulling our hair out. To be honest, it's been working better than any attempts at TBRI. Interesting. Well, good for you for the honesty. All right. Not really any lasting change. Yeah, those are a thing. Thank you all. Very unhelpful. On average, it is... Well, I'm going to tell you my story in, in a cup. In a, well, here, I'm going to tell you a little bit right now is that we were I, the reason I started learning trust based relational intervention is because none of the other stuff was working. And we were at the end of our ropes and were and did not know what we were going to do. And we're thinking de desperate thoughts, OK, of can we continue to do this? And it was at that moment that we discovered TBRI, Trust-Based Relational Intervention. I'll tell that story in just a little bit. So for me, I wanted to, this is just personal, looking at the three lies, how they affected me in adoption, and then how Jesus helps heal me from those lies. I am vulnerable to these three lies. I am not enough, the lie of shame. I do not have enough the lie of scarcity, and God is not enough. The law of self. The reason that I have to be in charge of everything is because God's not enough. God's not going to fix this problem for me, okay? And so the, the lies I believe is that I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I don't have enough skills. I don't have, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough energy. And I've been abandoned, obviously. Because, you know, I've been told over and over, if you're faithful to God, you're going to be rewarded. Or if you're faithful to God, good things are going to happen to you. And we carry that, that disinformation around with us. How did that affect me? All right. Well, it was easy. I'm not enough for my children. Okay. I can't help these kids. There's nothing I can do. I do not have enough for my children. Now, that's scarcity. I don't have enough money, resources, anything. Do you know how much that kind of therapy costs and this kind of therapy? But you know what you still do? And I'll bet you many, you still try it out. You go ahead and spend the money. You go ahead and waste hundreds of dollars just in case this works. And God is not helping me. And the lies kept me from saying yes. Here's what I mean by that. In trust-based relational intervention, we talk about the attachment cycle. And the attachment cycle goes like this. A child, a human being, but let's go a baby. Baby has a need. Baby expresses the need. A, a loving adult comes and meets the need. And trust is developed. Need expresses the need. Need is fulfilled. Need is met. And trust develops. It happens 100,000 times in the early years of life. And our children's brains are wired for attachment. All I have to do is make my needs known and somebody's going to do it. It's going to take care of it. The world is a beautiful place. 
but our babies didn't experience that. Okay. They, uh, when they expressed the need, they got hit, smacked, ignored, abandoned, not fed, left in the dirty diaper, not comforted when they were scared. They didn't get enough yeses. So I learned that, that my kiddos, when they came to my home, I had to go back and make up for all those yeses that my children's bio parents didn't give them. And all of a sudden, it's on me to tell them yes. But here's the problem. Because of the lies, it limited my ability to be able to tell my babies, my little ones, I got them at four and six, to, to tell them yes. And the lie, the other part of the lies is they send me, I want to be on the path, right? But what happens when I'm, when I'm vulnerable to the lies, it'll send me veering off to be controlled and I get angry and I get big and I get scary and I threaten and I take things away and I ground and I've just got to control this behavior and dang it, I'm going to shut this behavior down now. Thank you very much. Or when the lies really get to me, I veer off on the other way and off the cliff of despair, okay, of never mind, I just can't do this. I am not good enough and there is no point in me trying. I'm, it's those days where you just want to pull the covers up and you don't want to show up to life, right? And that's what the lies did to me. When they've got a hold of my head, when they've got a hold of my heart, they keep me, they limit me, and I can't say yes to my kiddos. And the lies also send me off the track into, into controlling my kids and, and despair. Thank you for joining me for my therapy session. That's been actually numerous years of therapy to get there. So where does Jesus fit in? Well, along my path, guess what I saw? In the Gospels, I see that Jesus trusted that he was enough, no shame, Jesus trusted that he had enough, no scarcity. Jesus trusted that God is enough. I'm hoping that you all are familiar with that, the story of Jesus's temptation, the testing in the desert, right? It's in Luke chapter four. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist and he is, the spirit leads him into the desert and he fasts for 40 days, preparing for his battle for Satan, right? That fasting, that's a spiritual preparation so that when Satan shows up, the tester shows up, Jesus is going to be able to pass the test. And he does. So Satan shows up and says, dude, you must be hungry. You know, look at that. You see that stone right there? Doesn't that look like a fresh loaf of bread? Why don't you just change that stone into a loaf of bread? And, you know, we can have a little party right here in the desert. And Jesus said, he, he says no to scarcity. He says, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus says no to scarcity. So Satan takes him to the top of the, the pinnacle and says, jump off. Jesus, you're going to have this three-year ministry. And it's going to be hard. And you really need to see if God has your back. I mean, because, you know, what if you get a year and a half into this and, and God just abandons you? So you need to test God, jump off just to make sure that, that God's got your back. And Jesus says, nope, I'm not going to test God. God is 100% enough for me and reject, rejects self and testing God. And then Satan shows him in an instant all of the kingdoms of the world 
And Satan basically says, you don't have to do this servant thing where you're a nobody, where you're going to be rejected, where you're going to be persecuted, where the Roman government's going to look down on you, where you're not going to get the respect you deserve. You, you just bow to me and in an instant, you will be the ruler over every single one of these things. You don't have to go that. You don't have to be nothing. To You can be something now. And Jesus says, nope, I'm enough as a servant. If you have notes, there's a great passage in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, that, wow, just describes that, especially that Jesus sees himself as enough. So Philippians 2, 1 through 11, and many, most scholars believe that that one section that's kind of looks poetic-y is, was an early song that the early church actually sang. So it's great stuff. But in the Gospels, I see that Jesus trusted that he was enough, that he had enough, and that God was enough. So for his whole ministry, even in the face of hunger, thirst, rejection, persecution, poverty, pain, torture, and death, Jesus trusts God. Boom. Jesus didn't succumb to the lies. And as a result, Jesus went down that path of trust, not veering off into control, not veering off into despair. He had possibly had moments of both, but where, ah, right? But Jesus didn't veer off. And I saw that of the one that I call my Lord and Savior. And here's the thing, that living Jesus Christ, the one whom God re resurrected, called me to trust. Greg, I want you to trust that you are enough that you are loved. Greg, I want you to trust that you have enough. I want you to trust in that Lord's prayer. Give us this day our daily bread, our daily bread, right? And Greg, I want you to trust that God is enough, even in the face of hardship and desert times and storms. God is enough, right? So, and even in the face of the challenging behaviors of my children, Jesus calls me to trust in God so that I stay on that path and don't go veering off into control or veering off into despair. All right. Question. Are you vulnerable to these lies? The lie, I am not enough. The lie of shame, the lie of scarcity, I do not have enough. The lie of self, I can't, God is not enough. You know, when you are ca caught by one of these lies, do you tend to veer off into control or to despair? Would you be, will if you're willing to risk in this group, who I believe gets you, would you be willing, uh, do you veer off into control or despair? Despair. Yeah. Control, 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 control. <laughs> Woo! Jackpot. Depends on the day. There's, there's something different. Both, right? Yeah, it is both for me. Early on, control. Control both. Yeah. Day and the circumstances. There's some things that will just send us in flipping our lids, right? Sometimes it'll just send us to cover our beds. Seasons of despair. Oh, you guys, yeah. 
when I'm with my kids. <laughs> control, right? Eric, control, Erica, despair. Yeah. You guys, this is hard work, right? So thank you for following all. Question, I, I want to pause for a second. Does anybody have any quick questions for clarity or understanding? Do you have any questions about the content that I've given so far? So the aspect of shame and not being enough, how do you balance that in your mind with the knowledge that you truly are not enough for your children, that 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 it is Jesus that is going to sanctify them and work in them? How, how do you achieve a truthful balance and not have that toxic shame? Yeah, well, number one, oh, I love that. So let me just reiterate. So in a way, from a certain perspective, I am not enough for my children because Jesus is the healer, right? Is that kind of what you're saying? In my experience, I am given certain tasks, okay? I am not in charge of completely healing my children. There's this idea, <laughs> preachers, we do stewardship, right? But one of the things we preach about stewardship is that Everything is God's, and including these children, okay? These children are God's children. And ultimately, God is the one who is 100% responsible for their healing. However, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as one who is filled with the Spirit, I do have responsibilities towards my children to imitate Jesus in their life. So yes, only in Christ are we enough. Scarcity drives us to the gospel and his grace. So what it's done for me, how has it done for me? Because the truth is we are enough for the task that we have been, that has been set before us. Moses, uh, Exodus chapter three, Moses is at the burning bush and God says, Hey, dude, I'm sending you to Egypt to go stand before Pharaoh and to tell him, hey, this God that I met out in the desert says, let my people go from slavery. And Moses does nothing but argue for the next chapter, right? I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. Until finally God just goes, <laughs> says, fine, here's a compromise. Okay. And okay. TBRI does compromises, if you're familiar with it. In, at the end of Exodus chapter 3, God compromises with Moses about going. And, I'm gonna, and the compromise is, fine, you go. I'm going to send Aaron, and Aaron is going to do the talking for you, okay? You just take the staff I gave you and do the miraculous things, but Aaron's going to do the talking. Can you live with that, right? So Moses stands there and argues with God, and God compromises. That's not a clear answer, I know, but I hope it's sufficient for right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, look, there is no condemnation, shame for those in Christ. So even though we are not the ones in charge of our healing for our children, we are still enough for the job that we have. Although sometimes I have trouble believing it. Okay. Now, let me tell you briefly about trust-based parenting and my journey with trust-based parenting, and then where I see Jesus doing those four, four aspects, okay? All right. The day things began to change for our family. On May 18th, 2017, 
I lived in Salina, Kansas. We lived in Salina, Kansas. Kim was one year into cancer treatment and we got the tornado sirens went off. So in our family, it's a tradition. What we would do is you grab snacks, you grab phones, you grab your chargers, and we all go to the basement, sit in front of the big screen TV, and we eat, we chat, and we wait out the storm. We listen to the radio or the television. If it actually a tornado is coming towards our house, we go right, we run right into the room that is very, very secure so that it would be the safest place. But it's usually not a problem. On May 18th, about five o'clock in the afternoon, my son is just in everybody else's space. He's in my space, especially his half-sister's space. He goes into a room, which was also in the basement, just kept going in there, not staying out and hitting or bothering, said, she's doing this to me. I had to go in there because she's doing these mean things to me. And, and I was going, so I just needed him to stop. So I tried to get bigger, louder, scarier to shut this behavior down. We moved him in an area where there's a bed and we surrounded by dressers and stuff and just tried to lock him in there just to stay in this space because he was killing us here. And still he wouldn't do that. He's still obnoxious. He's still going crazy with this stuff. As soon as I knew that the tornado had gone on past enough, I just took him upstairs and had him go to his room and still had to be big and scary just to keep him there. It was it was insane. And by the end of that night, at nine o'clock that night, I sit back in the comfy chair in the living room, just exhausted. I can't do this anymore. This is ridiculous. This is, this is the, the pinnacle of a month filled with emotional pain and struggle and failure and shame and guilt. And we can't do this. And where the heck is God in all of this? Okay, that, this was this was the woo the the biggest moment of that. And then Kim walks in from tucking our daughter in in the basement, saying goodnight to her, and she sits on the couch next to me and breaks out her phone and goes on to Facebook. Can I get a testimony? Right. So and she goes on there, and all of a sudden, in the exhaustion in my head, I hear this today on the Empowered Parent podcast. Why traditional parenting doesn't work with kids from trauma. Excuse me? It doesn't work? <laughs> and, and there's an alternative? In that, we learned about empowered parenting, trust-based parenting, discovered that it was created by Dr. David Cross and Karen Purvis at TCU. We were both TCU grads, she from undergrad and mine with my graduate school. And so we immersed ourselves to learn what we could discovered that Kansas actually had free TBRI training all 24 hours and just went down that passion. It was simply amazing uh, to discover that. And here's the summary. This is my picture. This is not official TBRI stuff, but this is how I want to describe TBRI to you. It's a pyramid and it starts at the bottom and the foundation, that biggest piece is a deep understanding of the risk factors, which leads to compassion. So that's why we've got the head for understanding and the hearts in the head for compassion. They are related. Then on top of that, when you've got the compassion, then you've got the connecting strategies to provide emotional felt safety for the children. And it is all about parents connecting with their children in love. 
And on top of that, you've got the empowering strategies. And the empowering strategies are about giving our babies' bodies yes and telling them yes. Yes, you can have food. Yes, you can have water. Yes, you can have your sensory needs met. Yes, I will provide you an environment that doesn't trigger you and all of those things. Then when our kids have emo- have deep understanding and compassion, when we've provided a- emotional felt safety, when we've provided physical felt safety, then on top of that, then we teach. The correcting strategies are about teaching kindness and love, self-regulation and skills, social skills, and all of those things. That's what's going on there. So I want to briefly overview all four of these things. And if I all of a sudden get distracted, it's because I can hear the skateboard going in my garage. So hopefully nothing's going to get broken while while that sound is going on in there on the other side of the wall here. So let's look at the deep understanding of the risk factors, okay? These are common challenges that I have seen firsthand. So things that I have seen in as a parent and in my work as, as a post-adoption support specialist. Swearing, insults, threats, fire-starting, terrifying another child, urine and feces outside the toilet, property damage, lying, stealing, addiction, prescription misuse, depression, self-harm, attempted suicide, juvenile court, police in the home, juvenile detention, psychiatric residential treatment facilities, behavioral health facilities, living children living with their significant other's family, aggression, pushing, grabbing, slapping. And you all could probably add to this list of behaviors. As a matter of fact, are there behaviors that you've experienced that are not on that list or that whether or not you've seen it in your home, but, but you know that these behaviors exist? Yeah. And I think, yeah, the yep is, is to these. Okay. Folks, these are tough, tough behaviors. They are over the top difficult. So, but, and because of these behaviors, our children are called sinners, criminals, crooks, degenerate, punks, addicts, scum, and worthless because of these behaviors. <laughs> and maybe there's parents in our worst times where we've used them ourselves. It, is it common to experience? Oh, it is common to experience these even when, you, oh, no, it's a question mark. Is it common to experience these even when you have had children since birth? It is not unusual. There are times where we've talked about it and there are some specific circumstances and brain wiring why that these do happen. Okay. So I don't, it's not necessarily common, but there are birth parents who experience these things with their children. Oh, look at that. Okay. Did you see that? Check out episode 87 of the podcast, The Adoption Connection. So why are our children doing these behaviors? Why could my son not stay in that space? Why was he having to go ballistic and into all these areas? So I'm going to try and share a three-minute video with you, which talks about this really well. And it's one that's accessible on YouTube. As we develop... Our brain produces 250,000 neurons every minute. By birth, we'll have 100 billion of these miraculous building blocks. But in order for our brains to fully function, 
will need synaptic connections to organize and build networks. Who we become and how we function depends entirely on how these networks develop, and our interactions with others and how we've been treated determines everything. From functions like heart rate, breathing, and basic emotions, to personality, decision-making, language, social behavior, and voluntary movement. We know that severe or prolonged abuse or neglect derails that building process, even in the womb. Distress and high anxiety in the mother allows cortisol, the stress hormone, to cross the placenta and disrupt development. When the toxic stress response is activated repeatedly, brain development and even immune systems are disrupted. Research has shown that high doses of stress hormones inhibit brain function and impulse control, overbuilding the fear center and the part of the brain that's critical to emotional regulation. TBRI uses three sets of principles to begin the healing caused by toxic stress. By recreating the developmental process, TBRI strives to introduce the nurturing that was absent in those toxic situations. And for the child who has endured toxic stress, healing must begin with a sense of both physical and emotional safety, something this child may have never known. Connecting principles are designed to create and nurture healthy relationships through sensitivity, consistency, and availability to disarm fear and gain trust. Giving full attention, using a gentle voice and kind facial expressions and body language are just a few of the ways to help build trust. Punitive and controlling responses only feed a child's mistrust and fear. Empowering principles are designed to meet physical needs, including sensory regulation, nutrition, and hydration, and strive to be aware of environmental issues, such as overstimulation by light, noise, or smells that can trigger behaviors that often leave caretakers baffled. The goal of the correcting principles is to help guide a child through day-to-day strategies by correcting fear-based behaviors and establishing felt safety, helping a child regulate their emotions, tell their stories, and learn through playful engagement. The Adverse Childhood Experiences study examined the effects of multiple types of abuse in childhood, and the staggering results showed that high doses of childhood adversity affect brain development drastically, leading to addictions, attempts at self-medication, impacted immune systems, chronic inflammation, and autoimmune diseases. The greater the number of traumatic events, the greater the damage. TBRI can help stop this ugly cycle. There is hope for the damaging effects of toxic stress, but it will take dedication, education, and most of all, understanding. Hopefully that video gave you a little bit of understanding of what went on in the brain development and the disrupted brain development of our children. And as you saw, it can happen in utero as well as in the early years. The earlier the trauma, the greater the effect as well, according to the doctor who wrote, yeah, who wrote what happened to you. Yep. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. Yeah, that's right. And the, the, there's just some amazing things in, in there. And that's what we're understanding. So our kids, these challenging behaviors that are so frustrating for us, 
it's technically not their fault. All right. And it's not our fault that we that we just can't stand it, that it's so difficult to face these behaviors. So our job is then to become healers in our children's lives. And here is the problem, is that I think it takes 50 times more yeses and need mating for us that we have to do than if our kids' birth parents had done it. It's just, it's harder because their brains were already shaped in this way. And we have to come in and through our behaviors and through our need meeting, we have to rewire the brain rather than wiring it correctly in the first place. So it's just so challenging. So how do we heal our children's brains? Glad you asked. In trust-based parenting, it's the connecting strategies. These provide emotional felt safety. And I'm just going to go over these strategies briefly. Connecting for healing. So there's five basic strategies and I'm, and I'm going to do it and you can participate with me if you want, but I start with my hands up high. Kim in 2005 took our family to participate in, in community theater, Salina Community Theater, and we started doing musical theater and everybody dances in musical theater, even if you can't dance and you learn about jazz hands. Okay. So playful attitude is the jazz hands. Woohoo. Playful attitude. Then you bring it down to soft eyes, eyes that communicate love. Then you bring it down to a warm voice. Then you bring it down to healthy touch and then behavior matching. Don't have time to teach you about all those things, but I will say testimony regarding warm voice. I finally heard my son that my voice was irritating the heck out of him and it was causing conflict or conflict, conflict. The next day I changed the way I spoke with him. I lowered my register. I slowed down. I used fewer words. 50% of our conflicts disappeared overnight because I changed the way that I spoke to him. He felt more connected rather than hearing my stress. All right. Let's look at the empowering strategies. So empowering strategies are giving voice to a child's needs. All right. Especially for the body. So the empowering is we say yes to the body, food, drink. Often that's every single, every two hours, we make sure that they've got food and drink. We take care of their sensory needs. Man, that's a whole hour discussion in itself. And then we also try to control the environment for lights and sounds. If our kids get stimulated, overstimulated by fluorescent lights or certain sounds or certain music or certain smells, we also teach them, we also learn a strategy is how do we transition our kids? Our kids hate going from something that they're enjoying doing to something else, right? But story behind the behavior is that when kids are having fun and enjoying something, they feel safe, right? When they're having fun, they're not threatened. Their brains are in playful mode. And when we interrupt them and say, we're going to, you have to stop doing this thing that you feel safe doing, and we're going to go do something else. And the child's brain just has difficulty. So in TBRI, we teach to how to do those transitions. And then we do routines and rituals as well. Okay, before I go on to correcting strategies, anybody have any question about connecting or empowering? All right. Okay. 
then let's go on to the correcting strategies at the top. So once our kids have the, we've given them deep understanding and compassion, we've provided emotional felt safety, physical felt safety, and they've got, they're feeling safe. Now we can do the correcting or teaching strategies. All right. So there's two, they're divided into proactive when everybody's regulated. You can't do proactive strategies in the middle of a conflict, okay? So you do it outside the moment, usually with play. And we teach them with play, self-regulation skills, you know, how to breathe in through the nose, out through the mouth. We teach them square breathing. We teach them star breathing. We teach them how to relax their bodies. We teach them, you know... I, what five things, name five things you see, name four things you hear, name three, you know, all of those self-regulation skills. And we teach social emotional skills, gentle and kind, obey first time, right? With permission and supervision, teaching those social emotional skills that our little ones need. All right. Then there's the responsive strategies, strategies when we're facing the difficult behaviors and in TBRI, the first thing is level one, try and deal with it playfully. You want to try that again with respect? You asking, you telling playful kinds of things to, to just get things back on track quickly. But and if those don't work, then go more structured. And you might use choices or you might say, no, I will do that when I am asked nicely. Da, da, da. And, and then the calming when our kids are really going off, then there's the calming strategies to bring them back down because when kids are not calm, they've dropped into their basement brain, right? Rather than their prefrontal cortex. Any questions about proactive or responsive strategies? Now, let me tell you what I saw as I'm learning all of these strategies, these four parts of, of TBRI, and now I'm immersing myself in scripture for my personal and professional life. Here's some of the things that I saw. And these are, you guys, I went through the gospel of Mark and made a list of where all of the scriptures fit into these four categories. Okay. I've gone through the gospel of Matthew. It's just these massive lists. So if we had hours, I would, you know, do an, I'd do an eight week Bible study of let's look at Jesus and compassion and, and, and just immerse ourselves in that. But we don't get to do that tonight. So deep understanding of the risk factors. Does Jesus understand that? These are some of my favorites. Okay. So the Pharisees ask Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus replies, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. For I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus is saying, I'm like a physician who's here to repair brain injury, right? I've not come for the righteous. I've come for the sinners, the despicables. I've come for the, the, all those things that we had, the, the sinners, the criminals, the outlaws, the, all of that stuff. That's who Jesus is here for. And in Greek, the word sozo means heal and save, all right? The same word can mean healing or it can mean saving. Interesting, right? So all of Jesus' work, when we trust in Jesus, it heals and saves. 
when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Compa- that compassion word is used eight times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I don't you remember that the prodigal son story? But while the son was still off, still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. You see, the son hadn't apologized, said I really messed up, done all of those things. The father saw the son and heart beat with compassion and welcomed him home prior to any change of behavior. All right. So for me, G deeply understands human behavior and why we sin and why we mess up and hurt ourselves and each other. And Jesus brings full on compassion. Okay. Oh, any question about compassion in the text or, or in chat, or if you want to unmute yourself. All right. We're closing in. I know I'm just nailing you all on this one. Okay. Connecting strategies, right? Jesus tells stories, playful. Jesus preaches the good news of the kingdom of heaven. The good news, you know, tons of sermons are are on what's the kingdom of heaven. But the bottom line is Jesus saying, God is so close, getting ready to break into this world. So trust in God. Jesus connects and calls people to follow him. Jesus casts out demons, frees of the person from isolation or reconnects them to community. When somebody is possessed, they are not allowed in town, right? And so Jesus sets them free and they're actually able to reconnect with their community and their family. Jesus is with the disciples in the storm. Jesus blesses the children through touch, lays hands on them, welcomes them. Jesus is raised from the dead and Jesus is alive and is with us, present with us now. Jesus connects and helps to heal us through that connection of the sheer presence of Jesus Christ, the empowering strategies, all right? Body, what does Jesus do? Does Jesus take care of the body? Gives food and drink to people, instructs his followers to give food, drink, welcome the stranger, give clothing to the naked, care for the sick, visit the imprisoned. Matthew 25, take care of these bodies. Jesus casts out demons, which gives people back their voice, right? And power. If I'm possessed by a demon, I don't have any choice in my life, right? If I am set free, now I have power and I've got a voice. I am empowered. Jesus believes in taking care of the body and that proclaims that God does. Which of you, Jesus says, if your son asks for bread, you're going to give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, you're going to give him a snake. How much more will your father in heaven give, give, give good gifts to those who ask him? And Jesus changes the environment for the disciples when he calms the storm. All right. Let's look at the correct correcting strategies really quick. Hang in there just for a couple more minutes. Okay. Jesus does proactive strategies when everybody is regulated. Okay. Just for one example, Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. That's one of five teaching sections in the Gospel of Matthew. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, live your life in complete trust of God. God is faithful. And Jesus gives rules for anger, 
rules for dealing with enemies, anxiety, judging others, money, legal testimony, pride, marriage, prayer, giving alms, all of those things. Jesus, when everybody's nice and calm ahead of time, Jesus spends three chapters providing all of this information of teaching, okay? But Jesus does correcting also when it's responsive. Do you remember the story of the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery, right? And the, the scribes and, and the high priest bring her to Jesus and throw her down before him and say, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. No, we didn't bring the guy she was in adultery with. We just brought her. And Jesus and says, what do you say? And Jesus draws on the dirt, right? Who knows what he drew in the dirt? And then he says, tell you what, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And it says from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and walked away. But Jesus also does structured corrections to those who prefer power, money, tradition over caring for people's human needs. Jesus is strong in correcting. To the Pharisees who believe Jesus should not heal on the Sabbath, he argues, wait a minute. The law says that if your sheep falls in a hole on the Sabbath, you can take hold of it and lift it and work to get, get it out of the hole. You know, how much more valuable is a human being than a sheep? Of course I can heal on the Sabbath. No, this is not acceptable. And then in Matthew 23, he goes, he really goes off and says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside those cups are full of greed and self-indulgence. All right. So here, just kind of summarizing this. Jesus provides felt safety, compassion, connection, empowering. If you are sick, hungry, lonely, possessed, outcast, a sinner. If you are in shame, guilt, despair, grief, fear, Jesus shows up and provides felt safety. Even if you're considered a sinner, a poor outcast sinner, right? Jesus welcomes you. Jesus proactively teaches crowds, his disciples, everybody. And Jesus brings the stern structure critique, okay? If the disciples blow it, he says, what, how long do I have to be with you, okay? When are you going to learn this? Corrects the wealthy, okay? Go, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Then come follow me, right? Corrects the religious leaders, like we said, those woes for the scribes and the Pharisees. Corrects the political leaders. So if you've got wealth, power, any of those things, then Jesus brings the structure. Trust-based parenting begins with trusting. All right? So here's the invitation. Jesus invites you, and so do I, to trust that you are enough that God loves you, to trust that you have enough. God provides your daily bread, to trust that God is enough, that God redeems your past, and that God gives you hope for the future. So I want to invite you to trust that invitation. 
so that you can be on that path. You notice that this path is an imitation of Jesus's path, right? Since we are disciples of Jesus, we imitate our rabbi, right? And we do the best that we can. And the living Jesus Christ who is alive is with you and me, with us in this hard work. At the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I have a question. Would one person be willing to do a favor for everybody else and read? Would you be willing to read this scripture for everybody so that everybody can listen to a different voice for a few minutes than me? Sure. I don't mind. Beautiful. Thank you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall, they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verses 3 through 12. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I have redone these a little bit. I've done some biblical study about the words. And then I pictured if Jesus were speaking specifically to adoptive parents, what would he say? Blessed are the exhausted, the depleted. Those who give without receiving back. Blessed are those who grieve the loss of dreams, relationships, the loss of hope. Blessed are those feeling ashamed, guilty, and like failures. Blessed are those who long to give help, to help long to give kids, to help kids thrive. My bad. Blessed are those who long to help kids thrive. Blessed are those who open their homes and hearts to other people's children. Blessed are those focused on being an instrument of God's healing. Blessed are those working to bring wholeness into a child's life, putting the pieces back together. Blessed are those who feel like no good deed goes unpunished when they are criticized by kids, schools, mental health workers, child welfare workers, and other parents. Blessed are you when you are cussed at, F-bombed, criticized, reviled, and rejected. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. God understands that you all are enough. We are so thankful for the amazing guests who share their wisdom and expertise in the village. Adoptive parenting gives us both the challenge and the opportunity to keep learning new tools and perspectives. 
Each workshop in the village is followed by a live Q&A with our guest. If you're not already a member of the village, we invite you to join us for regular gatherings and workshops where you will find the tools you need for exactly where you are. As a valued podcast listener, you'll get 50% off your first month. Just go to theadoptionconnection.com slash village and use the code podcast. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. Our new Instagram handle is at postadoptionresources. Or better yet, join our free Facebook community at theadoptionconnection.com slash Facebook. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. And remember, you're a good parent doing good work. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.